everybody knows that happiness doesn't come from things, except the people who have the bumper sticker that says the person who dies with the most stuff wins. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Thanks for joining us today. Our guest on this episode is Kevin Griffin, Buddhist author, teacher, and innovator in the field of addiction treatment. He teaches around the world and is the author of two books, One Breath at a Time and A Burning Desire. He also recently released a CD of original music called Laughing Buddha. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Our podcast is based on the parable of two wolves. And in the parable of two wolves, there's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. And he says, in life, there is a great battle going on inside of us. There are two wolves who are always fighting. One is a good wolf, which represents kindness and love and peace and justice. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents greed and hate and self-pity and uh, name, your, name your negative emotion. And the grandson thinks for a second and he says, Grandfather, well, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So this podcast is really about how people feed that good wolf in their own lives. So I'd like to start the interview off by asking you uh, what that parable means to you in both your life and in your work. Yeah, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful parable and um, and quite relevant to Buddhist and recovery uh, principles. Uh, certainly... Uh, Addicts are pretty much all about feeding the bad wolf, the destructive wolf. And um, and from the you know the Buddhist teachings are so much about karma, about what actions we take, and that that things happen as a result of actions. Uh, that that's not um, you know. May, as in the story, that you know, maybe the grandson was thinking that there was some uh, magic going on or some intervention from some, uh, you know, spirits to uh, to sort of control the outcome of that battle. And what the what the grandfather is saying is that no, it's really your own actions, your your thoughts, words, and deeds 
that um, cultivate uh, whatever qualities um, you know are going to become dominant in you, in you, in your character, in your life. And so that that's exactly what the Buddha taught. Um, and um, you know, there's a famous teaching where he says something like, "Whatever we think and ponder upon." Uh, repeatedly, that will become the inclination of our mind. So in the same way, whatever, whatever, if we focus on negative, hateful, or selfish thoughts, uh, we will become selfish and hateful people. If we focus on generous and loving thoughts, we will become generous and loving people. So, yeah, the same teaching. One of the things in your, uh, in your most recent book that you were sort of discussing uh, was very much that sort of same idea. I think you said something about, you know, when our mind is filled with thoughts of anger, we feel terrible. When we are filled with thoughts of love, we feel wonderful. When we let our minds go off into dreams and fantasies, we feel empty, lacking. When we focus on what we are doing right now, we feel connected and complete. So I think, you know, that does align very much. My question to you would be, what are some of the ways that you you go about doing this because the other thing that you talk about in the book that really resonated with me was the the idea of that as you think these thoughts over and over they create a pathway in the mind and the longer that goes on that gets pretty easy to fall into and so for most of us who would be interested in a show like this it's obviously because we have some challenge in in keeping the good wolf fed and maybe have a history in, in feeding the bad wolf. So I'd be interested in how you go about sort of undoing that, that you know, groove in the record or, or karma, as they would say. The starting point of meditation is to sort of try to ground yourself in your present moment experience, which we use the breath, which means connecting with the body, because that allows us to kind of uh, detach a little bit from the mental process and and be in a, a place of something real, which is our physical experience. It's not, uh, not something we're making up. And then starting to uh, observe the thoughts that arise and to kind of question them or, or look at them, um, you know, what, see what they are, uh, saying whether there's they're credible or whether they are destructive, what, uh, whether there's wisdom there, and this is a pro- I mean to to develop this capacity, you know, takes time. It's a practice. Uh, we don't just sit down and close our eyes and all of a sudden start to have insights, but we have to kind of develop this quality of observing, which is it's a capacity we all have, but it's kind of underdeveloped in most of us because most of the time what we're doing is just following our habitual patterns uh, and our conditioned ways of being, the ways we've always been and the ways we've been taught to be and learned how to be. And all of that has to be kind of deconstructed. So uh, in a way, the meditation practice is a deconstructing of reality to try to see what is rather than what we believe is. There's also practices of that are specifically geared towards kind of cultivating positive mind states. So the loving-kindness meditation is very much uh, focused on that and kind of, kind of seeing the negative tendencies and trying to really let go of them and, and, 
intentionally bring the mind back to uh, more compassionate, uh, kind thoughts. And the Buddha also taught a lot about just um, behavior. So the five precepts, not to kill, not to steal, not to harm with our sexuality, not to harm with speech, not to use intoxicants. Just following the precepts can have a very transformative effect on our lives. Um, so that's more in line with the recovery approach, which is kind of, I'm going to stop doing the things I'm doing because the things I do, the actions I take, actually then affect my mind. So they're, they're, in a certain way, the Buddhist approach and the recovery approach are coming from different directions, but kind of arriving at the same place. Um, the I, recovery is more of a behavioral approach. Buddhism is more of a cognitive approach. I would agree that 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 idea, you know, in 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 recovery, you hear the idea that you um, you can't think your way into uh, right acting. You have to act your way into right thinking. And then, you know, as you said, the Buddhist approach is is a little bit different. Um, I, I would be curious about. So I, the mindfulness piece is really about sort of just becoming aware of what's going on in your head and, and sort of seeing what's, what's happening sort of day-to-day, moment-to-moment. You know, I'm, I'm walking, uh, you know, from one appointment to the next one, and, and I find myself in a, you know, a negative spot. Or, or you know, what, what sort of thing do you recommend in, you know, I like to look for things that are bite-sized, that I can do uh, just kind of as the day goes on and and I can do in real quick increments. Do you have any any thoughts on how to apply some of those Buddhist and recovery principles in, you know, and again, in bite-sized pieces? What's somewhat underemphasized in meditation teaching, but really is at the heart of meditation, is connecting with the body and connecting with emotions through the body. So feeling what's going on. Sometimes just observing thoughts doesn't really tell us that much. And it doesn't, uh, it's, it can be very difficult to detach from a thought because they're, the beliefs are so sort of uh, deeply programmed and we've sort of got a logic that convinces us that they're true. Um, but if we can, so I find that just connecting with the physical experience of a mood, for instance, allows me to release that in a way that sometimes just seeing a thought doesn't. So what I do is I breathe a little more deeply. I kind of soften my belly and kind of let out the breath in a slow, kind of almost like a sigh. Just, and in that releasing... A lot of times I find that I can actually release mood or emotion or soften it anyway, give it more space by just kind of softening the body around it. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There was something else you said in in your uh, most recent book that sort of really applies to what we were just talking about, and I thought it was a very uh, interesting interesting piece. You know, you said the Buddha applied a penetrating intellect to the problem, and he applied a penetrating practice. And I think that's very interesting because it's it's kind of both, right? It's a it's. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in my life reading books about meditating, which is not really by any shot the same thing as actually doing it. And yet there is also an element of, you know, retraining how we think. And so I thought that was a really succinct way to sort of uh, sum up that it's, it's sort of a combined approach. You can't have just one or the other. I think that sometimes... Meditation is portrayed as this, oh, just empty your mind. And first of all, that's very difficult to do, and most people can only do it for brief periods. But it also sort of misses the point. Um, obviously, the yeah, um, that you know, quote you're referring to was in the context of saying, you know, the Buddha wasn't just walking around with an empty mind. He was a brilliant thinker and and so bringing i don't think spirituality should be anti-intellectual um but as you say there needs to be a balance if all we're doing is thinking about it we're not really getting it. insight in the buddhist sense is not actually intellectual in some ways it's more physical but fundamentally it's um experiential so we experience, for instance, the truth of impermanence, or we experience the truth of suffering, or we experience the emptiness of self. And in that experience, there's a knowing, and that's what we call insight. I, I practiced, early in my practice, I sort of had this idea that at some point some great brilliant thought was going to come to me because I was doing insight meditation. But it's another one of those kind of problems of translation that, that uh, in Western language, when we say insight, we talk about thought. But in Buddhist teachings, we're talking about an experience, an, an understood experience. Um, so, yeah, that, that kind of blend of intellect and experience and practice is really what I think makes for a, um, a mature practice. One of the things that, uh, you know, you hear in, you hear in recovery programs is about having, you know, that, that the key to recovery is to have a spiritual practice or to, to be spiritual. And certainly for a lot of people, uh, that's pretty straightforward, but you're certainly writing for an audience that is most likely struggling with, with that concept of, well, what does spirituality mean if I don't believe in a, in a interventionist God. What does that mean? And one of the things you said was that um, the first aspect of spirituality is the understanding that happiness doesn't come primarily 
through the material world, which is a very, very practical way of sort of defining what that is. Do you, do you want to expand upon that a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, to start with, I, I, you know, talk about that. I start, I sort of define those, that idea because, because I do think that the idea of spirituality, people make it into too mysterious and exotic, uh, an idea. And, you know, people are like, I'm spiritual and, uh, or I'm not spiritual. And that, you know, uh, it's just one of those, again, sort of language gets in the, in the way. Everybody knows that happiness doesn't come from things, except the people who have the bumper sticker that says the person who dies with the most stuff wins. But everybody else knows this. I mean, this is, I really don't think that's a surprise for most people. It's not that we don't know that, but the problem isn't what people believe, but rather how we actually live. Many people have good values and good beliefs that they're not able to live by. Desire is a survival mechanism. If humans didn't have desire, they wouldn't reproduce and they wouldn't survive, right? So survival, desire is not a bad thing in and of itself. The desire for stuff isn't a bad thing. The desire for stuff comes out of the fundamental desire that I need to have food, clothing, housing. Those are just natural human cravings for comfort that allow me to survive. But evolution and survival are just powerful forces that don't actually have any restraint on them. Civilization and spirituality are the things that we bring to those instincts to restrain them so that they don't you know, take over. Um, I agree with you. I think if we went out and polled people, they would all say, yes, you know, happiness is an inside job, right? It's kind of a, it's sort of a, a cliche. But if you look at us by and large, might throw me into the boat too, it's not the default mechanism of most of us in our culture is not the way we live. And that's one of the things with this podcast that I'm interested in is is how do we sort of remember or become mindful, as you would say, over and over again of of what our intentions are. You know, the root of the word <laughs> that's translated as mindful is remembering. So sati is the word we translate as mindful, S-A-T-I. This is in the Pali language, the language of the earliest Buddhist scriptures. And the root of that word is in memory and remembering. So I absolutely agree with you and see the challenge as being that very thing, which is to remember. It's the starting point is to remember to be present. You know, from a loftier idea is to remember who we are, but to remember your intention. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, 
like to just touch on a couple more things and then I I think we can we can wrap up one of the ones and this is again sort of getting back to creating our own reality and and using thoughts that are beneficial or skillful towards us in your in your book you tell a story about uh you were a guitar player when you were younger you're still a guitar player but when you were younger you were a guitar player you learned to play some chords and then you saw somebody play lead guitar and you somehow in your mind thought that you would be unable to learn to play guitar like that like it was a it was a it was a it was a state and you didn't even try because your mentality was that you were not a lead guitar player. So I'd like you to maybe spend a minute and, and explain a little bit more about that. Yeah, obviously it's not really about playing the guitar. It's about beliefs and limiting beliefs. And, and you know, the, there's this whole sort of uh, idea, and it's sort of a new age idea, that we create our own reality. And, and that can turn into magical thinking, right? And that if I just think about it enough, it'll happen. You know, I'll just win the lottery because I think about it. And I, I don't really go to that school of thought. But it's the idea that we create our own reality is coming out of, I think, some spirit. I would call this spiritual principle, but it's not even that spiritual in a way, which is just that if we believe something, then we act on that belief. If I believe I'm not capable of something, then I don't try to do it. And in that way, I create my reality because I'll never learn if I don't try. And I mean, it, you know, it's kind of one of those things your grandmother probably tells you, you know, hey, you're never going to get it if you don't try. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those things that I think, again, we need to, and I need to investigate in myself to see what my beliefs are. You know, our beliefs don't come with signs and, you know, lights around them. We, we live out our beliefs and unconsciously a lot of the time. So we have to really investigate ourselves to see what, what it is that we're believing and then question that. And is that a helpful belief uh, or not? And, and, you know, and it can go the other way too, you know, that, Oh, I, I mean, I also had this kind of delusional belief that I was going to be a rock star, but I didn't really do anything to make it happen, you know? So it's not enough to have a belief. We need belief and action. Right, which gets back to that earlier discussion sort of about, you know, insight and practice. And you had a, you had a quote that made me laugh where you said, you know, to think that sitting on a pillow will make you a rock star, get you lots of money, solve your drug and alcohol problem, and cure you of depression is to be very confused about cause and effect. And I think, you know, when you're talking about the guitar is sort of, you were saying that it, that's lack of, a, lack of a belief in, really in cause and effect, because cause and effect would say, if I work at this, I will get better at it. That's a fairly, you know, it's sort of a fairly straightforward rule that that is true. And, and to sort of say, well, I could never do that is simply a sort of denying that that basic piece. And it, I think a lot of it just simply has to do, like you said earlier, about putting in the effort. It's a lot, magical thinking is a whole lot easier than, um, than, than true practice and, and discipline. People have the same problem around meditation like oh i tried meditating but my mind kept wandering i can't do it 
And, you know, I, I say, well, you know, it actually takes a lot of work to become, uh, I'll just use the term, a good meditator, although I don't particularly care for that term, but, you know, to become a successful meditator. And to play lead guitar, yeah, it's going to take a few years to, of practicing hard. We're not very patient, you know. We want it now. That's why we get loaded, because, we, you know, I can have the same experience that I have on marijuana by meditating, but it takes a lot more work, you know. Um, and, and addicts are impatient, and, and we want it now, and, uh, you know, we really don't want to put in the work. Plus, probably a lot of addicts do have sort of self-esteem issues and don't really think they can do it, whatever it is anyway. So might as well just get loaded and imagine it, you know, uh, that'll be just as good. Well, um, Kevin, thank you very much. Um, I really enjoyed uh, talking with you and, you know, learning about about sort of how you approach different things. Is there any last things you'd like to uh, leave us with? Um, mostly, you know, self-promotion. Uh, if people are interested in uh, my books or my music or my teaching, my website is kevingriffin.net. And uh, there's links to all of that stuff there. I have my schedule. You know, I teach pretty much year-round. If people are interested, they should check those things out. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Really nice to talk with you. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks all right, you guys. Bye. Bye. You can find out more about Kevin Griffin and this podcast in our show notes at oneufeed.net slash Kevin.